welcome to the We're Alive Fancast. And now, your host, Mr. Redbeard and Mick. Welcome to episode number six of the We're Alive Fancast, where we cover every new release of the We're Alive audio drama. I'm Mr. Redbeard. And I'm Mick. And we want to throw out the spoiler warning because we're going to be covering chapter 37, part three, pretty deeply, and uh, no detail will be left unspoiled. So be sure to listen to that before you listen to this show. Cool. And we want to give a real quick shout out and congrats to Casey and Blair on their wedding. Yes. Congratulations, guys. It's so awesome. Wish you all the best. Okay, so I was trying to get caught up on the forums. I've been kind of sick and traveling a lot. But Witch Doctor on the forum says, As a married man, I can't help but chuckle to, at the idea that Casey and Blair's wedding gives a new meaning to the chapter title, The Balance of Power. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I thought, I didn't even think of the read it. That's great. Good oh. job, Witch Doctor. <laughs> yes, very good job. I hope you're listening. <laughs> nice post. All right, we're about to hop into our scene-by-scene coverage where we just go scene-by-scene uh, scene and we talk through each scene as things happen and we'll just we cover the show just like that. And also, uh, real quick, there's you can probably tell that both uh, Redbeard and I are a little bit under the weather, but, I mean, we're, we're committed to, get, to getting this show out to y'all uh, on time and... You know, unless it's just completely impossible, we're going to do whatever we can to get this thing going. So the show opens up in the infirmary. Tanya still has her hands full. Tanya says, what I wouldn't give for five minutes on the Internet. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but this is like a huge concern of mine. Uh, I don't know, really know why, but well, I mean, I do. But during disasters, access to the Internet is not always available, let alone phone calls and that kind of thing. So I'm always... Hoarding knowledge. I have a collection of manuals, articles, books, and notes. I keep them on like thumb drives and e-readers. <laughs> so, yeah, it's not as weird as it sounds. It's, I don't know if anybody else is like that, but that's that's one of many things I do. Yeah, I've got the worst case scenario handbook, and it's, <laughs> it's definitely going to help out one of these days. And I have the Bear Grylls survival stuff, and maybe one or two other books, but that's about it. I've got uh, oh, what is his name? Les Stroud? No, not well. I got some Cody Les- Lundin. Yeah, Cody Lundin. I've got some of Les Stroud stuff too, but uh, and Neil Strauss. But uh, Cody Lundin's book, uh, 98 Degrees. It's it's chock full of little tidbits of information. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, anyways, okay. Hope comes in saying there's something going on out here. CJ has called people one by one into her room, handing out orders because she's in charge now. Tanya is telling everyone to leave, stating she's in charge. Glenn replies with, you? I thought CJ was in charge. <laughs> Glenn aggravates me. He comes off with a sense of superiority or that he knows better. And it's not consistent. And he's... Never 100% correct. I guess he just didn't realize that she wasn't in on the vote. Because, I mean, shoot, they said they had 62 votes for CJ, which is, first off, a lot of people. I didn't even think there was that many there. Well, later on, we find out that it's only the colonists that voted. And so she has no way of knowing because they didn't try to include anybody else. Right. I just, I thought, I'm thinking Glenn may have thought that she had been informed. Oh, okay, gotcha. After everyone is out of the room, CJ tells Tanya, you crippled me. 
And when Tanya starts to say, I didn't cripple you, I, and then CJ finishes her sentence, save me. I'm trying to figure out what's going on in CJ's head. I know she's upset about her leg, but I can't help but think that maybe that fever dream's right around the corner. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll definitely get back to my thoughts on CJ as we continue along here. So, And that was just my initial thought when I listened to it the first time. I was like, what is going on, you know? Mm -hmm. She didn't seem grateful at all. Well, yeah. So CJ starts talking about jobs and what people are doing, or in this case, not doing. CJ feels it is necessary to get people busy, and at the moment they are just sitting around, uh, and tells Tanya that running the infirmary is her job. And Tanya responds, stating that she does, she does what she wants because it's her choice, and then throws it in her face that fixing CJ was her choice. Now, I get... I kind of agree with CJ at this point because it, the worst possible thing for everyone to be doing in the colony is to sit idle, you know, with their thoughts running wild. And they've all mm-hmm. been through so much. So it's best to keep people busy and proactive. Yeah. And I'm, since we're talking about this now, I don't, I, I agree with what you're saying. But in Michael's journal in the last show, he mentions how everybody was taking care of the business himself and self governing. And things were getting done, and the the stuff that needed to get done was getting done. Well, that's true. And also, they had they've just come under a huge, you know, they had a little civil war with the Maulers, and they had a freaking huge zombie attack as big as you've seen, except for Irwin. That's a very good and point. A, and a coordinated attack. I mean, I think a day of rest is probably a good thing at this point. So that's one of my many problems with CJ this uh, this episode. Yeah, I wonder where she's coming up with this, or if it's. Uh... Cause she's stuck. She's been stuck in the room. So is someone, one of the colonists, feeding her this information? You know? No clue. I didn't. I didn't know where it came from when I was listening to it, and I got. I got fed up with her, and yeah, I, I did not like the way that she acted this episode at all. Huh? When Tanya says you can't just walk in here and tell people what to do, what gives you the right? CJ replies with, "They do," referring to the colonists. Mm-hmm. Glenn and Max are called into the room. Tanya says, "I'm going to get Michael." And CJ responds, that wouldn't be the best idea. CJ tells Glenn to tell Tanya why, and Glenn replied, we all voted. To which Tanya replied, I wasn't asked. And Max says, we didn't really poll the non-residents. So Glenn was involved with the voting process, so that's what kind of, that's what ticked me off more. Yeah, he was gone too. <laughs> yeah, he left the colony He behind. just returned. I mean, given he was going out for help, but still. And they were going to Michael which we'll get into later, that, but that, mm-hmm. that just irks me. You know, they're, they're uh, all mad at Michael, but they sure were looking for help. So Glenn's response earlier, you? It's like, <laughs> it just infuriates me. Glenn knows something that Tanya has no information about, yet talks to her like she's stupid. And he's done this before, and he talks like this on occasion. He kind of he, he reminds me of someone that we both know that is very pompous, mm-hmm. and not, not you. Yes. <laughs> the fact that the colonists were sitting around talking it's to a little pompous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the fact that the colonists were sitting around only talking to colonists and decided to vote excluding everyone else shows that there's already a division. The colonists are already back to their old patterns of behavior. None of these actions the colonists take are thought out, and they never try to find out more information before moving ahead with their own little plan, mm-hmm. which that's really, that that part was getting to me because I was like, they, it's not like they had the greatest setup before Michael got there. 
they're you know they're kind of they were enslaved into their different duties. My, I don't know. My thought on it is something's wrong with someone that wants and needs to be told what to do without ever questioning it. So I say leave them all behind, but you know whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I get I get pretty close to that. <laughs> the colonists confirm what Victor said about there would be a lot more of them alive if it wasn't for Michael. Yeah, they're definitely they don't they don't know the whole story yet. They don't, and so this is going to be problems probably for the the, the rest of the entire season. Mm-hmm. I, and I I really hope not. I hope they resolve this in the next couple chapters because they're going to need a lot of help with uh the the Maulers, of course, but mainly the zombie threat. Mm-hmm. And taking that out. Tanya replies with, we should have been able to vote. Glenn replies, it wouldn't have mattered. There were 62 votes, and that's a mass majority. Mm-hmm. I thought that was crazy because I, I didn't realize there were that many people in the colony. Yeah, really. That's... And uh, Fred Rum on the forum says, was anyone else surprised at how many colonists there still are? I was pictured maybe 20 or 30, but it, there were 62 votes and not everyone voted. Then how many are we talking about? Yeah, really. That's a lot of people. I Yeah, I had no clue that there were that many. CJ starts changing her tone. We won't exclude you again. You're a part of this. Max and Glenn state that CJ was voted in because she armed them against the prisoners and lost her leg fighting Scratch, who tortured many of us. She's a hero. Tanya only agrees to follow CJ if she includes Michael. And Max tells CJ that Sean wasn't killed by the prisoners. So... I just I think it's kind of funny that when they talk about CJ, they don't really include Victor or Saul. Like they like she was the only one doing it. Right. Or the or the fact that Michael showed up at near the end and helped them exactly fight out the and saved their everybody's backside. It's just not well thought out. The colonists are kind of haphazard. So it's believable though. I mean, they're. I mean, I guess they're trying to portray them as sheep or something. I guess so. But I, I can I can I can see how that would happen. So last week, there were a lot of people saying, who's Max? Who's this guy? You know, and mm-hmm. uh, if and so I was kind of thinking about this, and instead of Max knows that Sean was, wasn't killed by the prisoners, but he's probably been around for a while. And then I went out and looked at the, uh, the wiki, and it's been updated to reflect that Max was working at the water truck resupply during chapter 37. Yeah, that was Grom. I tweeted that earlier this week. So, who's Max? I think I did that Sunday night or something like that. And Grom repeated back, I mean, just a guy that's all over the forums. Even he has like over 800 posts. And he seems to be like a walking database of where live information. Uh, but he, he posted that. And then he also re- he posted who Max was, the guy with the water truck. And then he also mentioned he was going to create the wiki page for him. Oh, really? Yeah, he also mentioned he wanted the he wanted to get the season four piece created, but he wasn't sure about how to do that. So I guess he's you know, you know if somebody else can do that, I don't know a whole lot about Wiki, but I think a lot of that is in the hands of Nick Voodoo. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that's okay. I, I guess I missed that one. I'm glad he brought it up too. But the, I guess the you know the other thing that he put into the wiki page was that I assume it was him because he knows everything. But Tanya trusts him enough to have him help Hope leave the the infirmary and go, you know, back to the house. Right. So I mean that that says a lot that people know him. He's been around for a while. 
Okay, so CJ leaves the infirmary saying that she needs to talk with someone. And I, I said Grom a minute ago. I meant Grog. Sorry about that, Grog. No. Okay, so my uh, couple, I have a couple questions or things to talk about in this first segment. First one being, I was begin, I was wondering at first because CJ was so, you know, con- awake and aware. I was wondering how long it had been since part two, but that's answered pretty quickly. It's, you know, it's pretty much right at the end of the last one because Michael had went a day or two in his journal or a day or give or take in his journal. And then also CJ being upset with Michael, which would beat this into the ground, is garbage. He had nothing to do with Sean's death. And for some reason, I'm feeling really defensive of Michael. And I'm not sure if that's by design. What do you think? Well, that quickly changes whenever Max tells her that Sean wasn't killed by the prisoners. Okay. So, and then she kind of drops her guard towards Michael after that. She, she, and I, I, get, I mean, it's a little, it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but she, she actually said that she does, she can't speak for the rest of the colonists, but she doesn't have a problem with Michael. Okay, I got you. I see. Well, that's all I had. Oh, okay. Uh, we talked about everything else. So CJ leaves the infirmary saying she needs to talk with someone. It doesn't really state who, but I think we all kind of know. We cut to Michael and Victor talking about the angel tape. Michael asks why Victor hadn't said anything about it sooner, and Victor replied with, I didn't have a chance. Saul comes in to find out about Angel and gives the same line of questioning to Victor and why he hasn't said anything. This time, Victor explains further about everyone being so happy and being reunited and didn't want to mess that up and uh, talks about how Lizzie knows about it as well, but Victor told her not to say anything. They start talking about how to tell everyone and Victor starts to talk about why they kept him in the first place. At this point, when Victor uh, explains that Angel never once gave up information about Fort Irwin, and uh, that's when they killed him, Saul started to get really emotional. I mean, tears and all. That got to me more than probably most like emotional scenes in the in the series. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, but. And I think another thing to note here is that we're right on the cusp of everyone finding out about Angel's ties to that mob family. Right. Michael states that it would be best to tell everyone by the end of the day. This means Riley will find out. There's a knock at the door, and it's CJ. When she comes into the room, she notices there's something wrong. CJ asks Michael to leave. Victor calls Michael Mike. (laughs) And Michael (laughs) responds with, don't call me that. Did he? Oh, I thought he called him Mikey. You call him Mikey? Mikey. I'm going to listen to it. I'll have to go back and listen. Okay. But I thought that was so funny. I was like, what? yeah. what's up with that? I was like, is this, Don't call me that. Is this a daddy issue? Or is he just real <laughs> strong about his name and how he wants to be called? Right. Well, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. Daddy issue. <laughs> well, <laughs> his dad maybe a Mike or Mikey. Yeah. <laughs> don't call me Mike, son. That's my dad. <laughs> CJ asked Saul again with sympathy what was wrong. When Saul finally answers, we just found out a friend was killed by the Maulers, CJ turns that statement around and says, Really? I just found out the opposite. CJ confronts them about lying. When Saul says he's sorry, CJ points out he has everything he wanted and has no reason to be sorry. CJ tells Saul and Victor, I want you gone. 
I thought it was crazy how quickly she turned her compassion into anger. Yes. I don't get what they're trying to do here. I'm just I'm wondering, is Casey just trying to stress how different CJ's leadership is and that she lets her emotions get in the way? Or are we are we supposed to be learning how much she misses Sean? I mean, I don't really get where this is going. I, I don't either. I mean, because when she talks, it sounds like she's more upset about her leg than anything. Mm-hmm. But there has to be more to it. And, you know, I, it's just... It's foreshadowing. Anytime someone leads with their emotions, something bad's going to happen. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that the fact that she loves him is coming into it. Maybe she feels like she can't be seeing him and Lizzie together and do her job. I noted. I, she likes I noted the it. same thing. I think she's jaded to to a degree. The fact that he has Lizzie now and she denied or he denied CJ's advances. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's just being so irrational. And if they leave, Saul and Victor, that is, I'm going to be a little upset with the show. I'm, I was so tired last season of them being separated. And it was a good story, all in all. And I'm, you know, when they came back together, it was great. But I was like, I wanted them to be together, you know, a big happy family again. And I'm not upset with, you know, with the writing. I'm just upset, like, hmm, I'm sad these guys aren't together. Yeah. So CJ says that their dying doesn't matter to her, talking about Saul and Victor. And I, I'm kind of wondering if, this is because emotions are running high, uh, the pain she's experiencing, or medicine, or, I mean, like you pointed out too, Sean, I'm not really sure what's going on with her right now. Because I know she does care. Mm-hmm. There's no way of getting around that. Saul points out the deal they had if they went to investigate the cracks, and uh, that would allow them to stay indefinitely. CJ responds with, this is not Dunbar. Victor points out that if CJ kicks them out, everyone will know she never cared about the colony and never wanted to come there. At this point, it seems like CJ doesn't know how to respond, and I can only get out, I thought you were different. Saul responds how they have been by her side and cared for her this entire time, and how he had sat holding her hand all night long when they removed her leg. CJ responds, I want you gone from here. I can't see you anymore. And that's where... I can't see you anymore. I don't think she was really talking to both Saul and Victor. I think she was deliberately talking to Saul at that point. Yeah, I see what you're saying. CJ gives Saul and Victor Dunbar and gives them till the end of the week to get out of the colony. Man, this is going over as well as the time the guy in the pinstripe suit went to visit Michael in the tower. Sergeant Cross is no here. CJ leaves the room and stops to talk with Michael, asking for him to work with her. Michael sees that the colonists are working, but there is something off with them. CJ says she needs him, and CJ points out if it were not for Michael, most people would not be there. And at this point, you know, Michael doesn't know what's going on, but I'm curious what his reaction is going to be when he finds out about her making Saul and Victor leave. I, I think that's going to be a pretty strong reaction, and I think it could be a pretty devastating reaction to the safety of the compound. Yeah. Well, and uh, Grog on the forum says, Sean called CJ the queen in front of Kalani, 
we see, we see that personality again. She may be able to plan, but she is no leader. Mm-hmm. I thought that was another interesting little insight too. I've kind of forgot about that. Yeah, again, like I said, people didn't sit on their their behind for a day. Everyone was taking care of their stuff. They just fought a big battle. You know, a couple of them. It's okay to sit around for a day and recoup, but the people were working. Uh, and also, at this point, I really began to wonder: Am I the only one that thinks CJ is being unlikable? I see it. It's yeah. hard to like her after this episode. But I do. I still like CJ. I think she's awesome. It really is. It's hard to like her. And I started to remember hearing this show, listening to this show. I remember being really annoyed with her last season, many times. And I guess since she was injured and dying, I guess maybe I romanticized it and thought I liked her more. But I'm, I'm gonna have a hard time liking her until she gets this stuff straightened out. She's. I mean, she does have. She does have a lot of brain power and a, a lot of great planning skills, but. She's leaving a lot to be desired in a, in a leader, that's for sure. Yeah, I she's got some soul searching to do, and I, I, there's something going on. I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if she's running a fever right now. I don't know. I think it's I think it's pretty consistent with her character. And then you yeah, add in the uh, the love sickness that she's probably experiencing from both sides. Yes, that's, that's a very good point. But we'll see. We'll find out. So there's a lot that could happen from. This division, because the fact that Saul's going to be leaving means that probably everybody from the original tower is going to leave, except for probably Pegs. Pegs will probably stay there. I'm I'm guessing that Michael will, too. He'll leave. And Tanya doesn't seem like she's going to leave and not be with her son and her grandson. That's right. Like, before we even get to the military people, I don't see Blondie and Saul splitting. No. Um, and that's what I was thinking about that and making these notes. I thought about Tanya, and I was like, and I don't think Tanya would stay, and I was thinking because of Michael. She likes Michael. <laughs> but then I was like, well, wait, hold on. Why, whoa, 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 no. Tanya, Saul's her baby. She's not going to leave him and be separated from him again if she can help it. And so if, especially if he's being sent out, she's going with him. So, you know, they don't have a doctor anymore. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe Hope all of a sudden can see really well, <laughs> and she wants to stay. Maybe Datu stays. I doubt that. I'm pretty sure Datu's attached to Michael. Oh, yeah, Datu fix. And he goes, okay, Michael. Right. <laughs> so he may even snatch up Hope. Of course, she could probably say she wanted to stay if she wanted to. But When I sat there and started talking, uh, or when I sat there and started thinking about this piece, I'm, I can't help but think, Saul is smarter than this. I'm thinking he has an angle. Because I think he knows if he pressed the issue of letting everyone know exactly every detail to the T, it would change how that whole situation fell down. And I think, uh, and then letting everybody know how va- how the valuable people would leave with him. Mm-hmm. Well, when they hear the helicopter start spinning up, because I'm, I'm pretty sure all the military guys are going with Michael. Oh, definitely. So the helicopter starts spinning up, and they see the freaking gunship leaving. Mm-hmm. They might begin to think, hey, uh, can we talk about this real quick before... Uh, <laughs> Well, because the, because then what's going to happen is if something bad happens, they're going to blame CJ at that point. Mm-hmm. It, it's a double-edged sword, even though that's what the colonists want at the moment. Yep. But I'm I'm curious if they're going to try to be resistant to them taking the helicopter and uh, firepower and stuff. Right. I mean, I guess Pegs could be like, I could fly it, but I don't want to kill anybody. So yeah, forget her. Take the guns off of it. Leave her at the colony. Leave all the colonists. Life is good. Um, I personally. 
No, I like the colony as a as a location. Oh, I, too. I hope they get it straight. I hope they all stay there somehow. But I don't. I doubt well, it. They got to draw this out. I guess. Well, there's two sides to this, and I, personally, I think that they should they should split and continue to work together using the helicopter to travel back and forth. I think they got a bigger advantage of being able to hit from two sides rather than just one. Right. And the other cool point is that this brings us back to the roots of we're alive. You know, Casey in one of his interviews talked about the idea of surviving in a tower came up during a deployment. Mm -hmm. And that's where the whole original concept for the apartment complex and surviving in there came from. So I'm wondering if he's bringing this full circle with Dunbar. Yeah, I would. I see what you're saying. And I was thinking about that, too, uh, or at least how so much of the marketing for We're Alive has to do with a tower that it would kind of kind of stink if they were only at a tower the first two seasons and that was it. But I guess they could go there and plus they've got us they know they have to split up anyways. I just wish it could be more amicable. Yeah. Because working together instead of there being a I mean, split. Once there's big groups, the one with the markings is gonna come pay you a visit. And that doesn't go well normally. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> okay, so we then cut to Bert calling out for Riley and when he catches up with her, she's sitting by Angel's grave outside the colony walls. By this time, Riley, as well as everyone else, knows what happened to Angel. As Michael stated, they were going to tell everyone by the end of the day. Riley is angry that no one has given Scratch a thought. And then she says, I can't, I can't live in that cage, referring to the colony, while I know she is out there. So after she says this, I'm thinking, oh, she's going to be on board with Saul and Victor. So, so yeah. we know for sure that we'll have Saul, Victor... Bert and Riley, and I'm hoping that you know brings along the other military people too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that she doesn't go out on her own with Bert too. Oh yeah, that's definitely a possibility. But if she waits it out just a little bit longer and tries to really develop a plan, she'll know that uh, Saul and Victor are going to be leaving. Yeah. So I I don't know. I, she very well may just leave the next day with Bert, but I'm hoping she sticks it out. <laughs> a little bit longer. See, uh, Riley is breaking down again, but her talk and comfort from Bert seems to awaken and align her anger to take action. Bert asks what was in Riley's hand, and it was the family ring. Riley says she has plans for the ring. When Bert asks what they are, R Riley replies, I plan to shove it down her throat. Mm. Bert asks some of what-if questions about what the others might say to her plans, and Riley replies with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was my favorite line, but it was one of my favorite lines for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Bert. It was a, Bert was being very sweet, very tender, and I could see why Claire Doden in our interview uh, said that she would pick Bert to survive with out of any of the characters. Yeah. And this is beginning to be make a lot more sense now. She and, answered that so well without ruining anything for us. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she may she may be going out and surviving with him for a little bit. Yep. But it sounds like she has a plan, which it's a one part plan of shoving the ring down Scratch's throat. But you know she definitely wants to do this. Yeah. Well, after Riley's you know talks about she's not gonna worry about what other people say about her plans. Bert responds with, I was hoping you would say something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. He's always like, you know, down with the man. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's ready for vengeance. I think he's been ready for vengeance since he was locked up in that hole. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, again, I say bring on the fury. I think it was already... Unleash the fury. <laughs> yeah, unleash the fury. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Bert didn't try to push her to attack Scratch or come up with a plan to go after her with revenge, but instead mm-hmm. asked questions and made statements to pull her plans out of her to see if she was on the same page. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah, I've we definitely uh, exhausted my notes during our conversation there of the scene-by-scene segments. I'm ready to move on to the favorite lines of the show. Me too. You covered uh, one of your favorites. I've got... Mine are both Tanya, and they're both pretty early. Both pretty early on. Tanya mentions possible staph infection. What I wouldn't give for five minutes on the internet. And that wins my favorite line of the show. The other other one was later on when she's trying to shoo people out of the hospital. Oh yeah. She said, "If you ain't bleeding, you will be soon." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I like I that. I have to agree with those. The only other one that I was really happy to hear because I'm looking forward to the fury, is that I plan to shove it down her throat that Riley says. Yep. Scratch. Uh, hard to scream with that ring in her throat. Yeah. <laughs> and under our uh, zombie tropes, homages, and I'm adding themes and other media, I didn't have any really that I wanted to cover other than kind of a theme, but I'm going to mention that in the question of the week segment uh, coming on later after this. I don't have anything either. I couldn't find any. I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff, but yeah, I didn't have any real specific ones. So on, I'm then moving into the rating section, and this is I'm kind of given my enjoyment and not a big critique of the episode because even though I don't like the characters, that doesn't mean it's not well written or anything. But I guess I'm just going to give this one another solid eight. It was really good, not uh, over the top spectacular like like I thought the first one was of this chapter, but it was definitely enjoyable. It gave us four. Uh, meaty segments with a lot of good content to talk about. Obviously, we've probably went 35-ish, 40 minutes now. Yeah. I want, I want to preface this as to why I'm giving it this, because I, I think this was a really solid episode, but I'm not really into drama and the mm-hmm. fragmentation in the colony. So I'm going to give it an 8.8. But Wow, that's really good. <laughs> I, I think it was really well done. I just kind of want to preface it with I'm not big into drama. You know, it's like it's yeah. like a, it's like reality TV shows. There's a couple of them that I've watched that you know, like American Restoration and American Chopper. And occasionally, they mm-hmm. they show awesome stuff with you know what they're actually building or repairing or rebuilding, but it, it right. always ends up focusing on drama because I guess that's what the masses want. But I have no interest in it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all I had for our show coverage. Um, moving into the zombie news section. Sweet. We've got a. Uh, this is pretty interesting. But this week, a commander at the the Dice Air Force Base in Abilene, Texas, was asked a question from an airman on one of his little online answer or question and answer sessions, and it was about the the zombie preparedness plan for that base. I love it. Basically, I'm just summarizing here. After accountability of assets and fortification of the base, he would guide their uh, B1 bombers to deliver. A massive obliterating airstrike on the zombies, which you know that's awesome. Hopefully you can get them to all you know sit in one area for you. But so he's got... <laughs> also I should mention this is a it's a bomb command. So yeah, I'm sure he has to say that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad he answered it. I love it when you know people actually give it a notion. Yeah, have a little sense of humor with it. Yeah, and the that link will be in the show notes. There's a story covering that. And that's all I had for the news, other than of course. 
Casey and Blair Wayland. Again, congratulations. Congrats. Moving into a, a new segment, which I'd like to keep around if everybody is gonna wants to participate. It's the question of the week. And Chris W. asked on Twitter last week, uh, which character from the show do you feel you're most like? And if you were them, what would you do differently? Redbeard mentioned last week that uh, he was most like Datu, and he'd like to, you know, get in there and be fixing stuff, and but not really seek a leadership position as much. Just you know, take care of business. And well, I do love Bert, and we are both former Marines, but we're not a lot alike. Other than that, as much as I do like him, I would like to say I'm, I'm like him. I'm not. But I find myself. And maybe it's just because he's the lead character, but I find myself empathizing a lot with Michael, and I see a lot of me and the things he does, you know, both good and bad. And there really isn't anyone else that I can think of, so I'll go with that. And maybe, you know, Michael's built so a lot of people can sympathize, or, or so a lot of people can empathize with him. And as far as what I would do differently, I may have tried to build better relationships while in the tower. But that probably isn't as easy as it sounds, considering all the stuff they're going through. Yeah, I can see, I can see that a little bit in you. Certain aspects of his his personality, I can see. And King Fridays, he responded and he tweeted back. He said uh, that he would. He it was him that said he was most like Bert. <laughs> uh, the main thing he mentioned he would have done differently was the first time Scratch came to the apartment building, he would have shot her right then. So no Scratch problem. Might have been a good idea. Uh, I think so. All right, I'm ready to move into listener mail and tweets, if you're ready. I'm ready. And if you'd like to interact with the show, just remember you can email the show at we'realive at micred.com. That's uh, we'realive at m-i-c-k-r-e-d.com. And uh, let's see, good fan of the show, Regan, tweets a few really interesting uh, 144 character or less takes. And Regan said, I have a feeling Saul and Vic may find interesting secrets at Dunbar now that CJ won't be there. Maybe even about CJ. That's such a good point. I don't know where did where did Regan pull that from. I don't know, but I love all, it. All I it's all the files that are there at Dunbar. Mm-hmm. That that part's gonna be really cool. And she's yeah, I guess. Oh, she wouldn't let them see that, would uh, she? She kept a lot of stuff. She was very secretive with yeah. it. That's what it was. Okay. It, and uh, there should be information on people and that uh, have gone down in the uh, that area before that did were not as fortunate to make it out. Right. And the next two uh, tweets from Regan, or we'll kind of, I'll read as one. The first chapter back, parts one, two, and three, has left me wanting. To be honest, if I wasn't already heavily invested in the story and characters, I'd have a hard time getting into it. Hmm. I could see that. Because of the drama aspect, I would have a problem with it, too. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, outside of that, that initial <clears throat> helicopter shooting zombie stuff. <laughs> yeah. Which would be very easy to get into. It's been a lot of a lot of drama, which I guess they have to do to set up the story. Yeah. Okay, so Dubus Monkey sent us a nice long theory that was pretty awesome in itself and could have very well have been the way things went. But unfortunately, we didn't get it in time. Let's see. Uh, King Fridays let us know um, on Twitter. By the way, great interviews with a couple of wonderful ladies. Both seem to have a great sense of humor and enjoy life. Couldn't agree more. Oh, yeah. They were both, I mean... So much fun to talk to. Definitely had a sense of humor. <laughs> okay, we got an email from I am Paul from the forums. He's saying CJ is running the colony, and of course Saul and Victor are forced to Dunbar. What if when Michael gets wind of this, he leaves with either his troops or rest of the towerities? 
Tower rights. Tower rights. <laughs> I, I like that. Too. <laughs> tower rights. Clarifying Bert, Riley, Tanya, Hope, Datu, Lizzie. You notice he leaves out pegs too. <laughs> or both. It uh, goes to Bone Bar as well. Hmm. <laughs> then there could be two bases. Not sure though where Bert and Riley will go. I do love where it is now. Prediction, Bert and Riley will go after Scratch. Scratch kills Bert and thinks she kills Riley. Scratch gets cocky and Riley has just enough life left to kill Scratch before she finally dies. Thanks for the great pod. Dang. Yeah. She has it with everybody dying. My goodness. Or he. Yeah, I, I thought, I was like, what is she? Yeah, uh... I was thinking about that, you know, when that email came in. That's really interesting. Bert and Riley both going after Scratch alone. Who? I don't, man. I don't want. I don't want Scratch to kill Bert. But you know what? It makes kind of sense because it would be like you know, since Bert had the chance to kill Scratch a couple of times and didn't pull the trigger, that's kind of getting him back in the story. I don't know. Yeah, I think this is a little dark. I don't see Riley dying. I could see Bert in his last breath killing Scratch. Right. And. Maybe Riley coming up and kicking the crap out of her career. She's dead. Yes. Or, okay, Scratch has got Riley. It's the old hostage gun to the head situation, and it's a tight shot, and Bert's trigger finger's messed up. But and she's like, you know, you can't shoot me. You don't have a trigger <laughs> finger. And he's like, rah, 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 bang. Wings Riley but kills Scratch. <laughs> <laughs> I thought she was a good shot. <laughs> uh, I'm digging this. No, that that'd be a lot of fun. And he also says uh, Michael gets wind of it, wind of this. He leaves with either his troops or the rest of the Towerites or both. Yeah, okay, he says or both. Yeah, that, that's kind of what we talked about earlier. And I hope that's what happens. I mean, I do too. I hope that core group goes at least. That's gonna, what, hmm. and maybe maybe some of the uh, colonists will find out about what really happened, what how things actually played out. And go, and some of them will go with them too. Right. There'll be. This is going to have some. I mean, there's going to be a lot of interesting things to come. I can see in, uh, with this storyline. But you know, kind of looking back on how the story's unfolded so far and Casey's writing style, I'm kind of wondering if it's just going to be a very small number of people going with uh, Victor and uh, Saul, mm-hmm. and then the story. You know, then the information unfolds, and then people decide to leave. Or they start working together as two different, you know, uh, bases. Right. I don't know. He makes some good points. I I could see some of this stuff happening. I hope it's not as dark as that, though. Yep. And hey, uh, thanks. I am Paul. Appreciate uh, the email. And don't forget, guys, if you want to get an email in or voicemail or send us a a voice file to the email address we've listed. Uh, be sure to get it in before 9 p.m. Central Time on Mondays after the show airs, uh, after the We're Live show airs, and we'll uh, we'll include it on our show because we normally record about 9:30 on Monday nights. All right, Redbeard, you ready to close out the show? I am ready. It's time for some Nyquil right. and going to sleep. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the We're Alive fancast. If you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email us at wearealive at mickred.com, and we will read your mail on the show. We want to know what you think about We're Alive each week. Tweet us or email us your theories and reactions to that week's show. You can tweet us at at WAFancast. 
visit our website at mickred.com. Mickred is always spelled M-I-C-K-R-E-D. You can find the We're Alive Fancast on Facebook. Just search We're Alive Fancast. Special thanks to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song Ghost Apocalypse in this podcast. This has been a Mick Red production. I mean, she does have a lot of great uh, strategical. No, edit. Strategical. In the last moments of the storyline, Scratch gets cocky and Riley has just enough life left to skill. Scratch gets cocky and Riley has just enough life left to skill. Skill. Keep saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Part three. Finally, he made it. An hour later than he should have, he hugged his daughter. The poor gymnast coach was upset and had been waiting far too long. But even if he had arrived earlier, that still would not have saved her from what was coming.